Yeah, but he did better for Mark. I don't know <laughs> what it is. By the way, Mark, you did a really good job. That was a good welcome and stuff. I mean, you, you, you did a great job. I just want you to know that David was back there kind of snickering, and I reminded him that he has to do the welcome next week. So, <laughs> so by the way, th- those are our elders. If you don't know, um, David and Mark, those are uh, part of our elders, and so I'm trying to get them a little bit more busy. Um, and everything, and, and get them involved, but I'm so glad you guys are here, um, and I'm thankful for those guys, I just, I just want you to know, but before I ever get started, I'm thankful that I have two men that not only hold me accountable, but are my friends, um, to help kind of lead this church and, and do all that stuff, no, you guys are not old enough yet, I like you, but you're the tech guys, and so we'll talk later, um, <laughs> But I, I appreciate it, and, and I do want to acknowledge, you know, Mark did say today is my anniversary. Um, I, I'm just going to tell you, I would not be here um, if it wasn't for the grace of God and the grace of a wife that stuck around for 29 years. Um, and so I just want to publicly acknowledge that. But, um, I mean, I'm, I'm so excited about this series and, and all that we're going through with this as we are seeing the story that began um, through Christ and, and through his sacrifice and his resurrection, how it just continues to go on and, and on and, and on, even into today. And so it just continues to carry on. That the power of the church and the power, of, and this, this is probably one of my favorite times right here that we're about to talk about. Um, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Pentecost, and yes, we are in Baptist church and we are going to talk about the Holy Spirit because we ain't afraid. Um, but man... <laughs> We, we are going to talk about it, and my prayer is that you just hear these words maybe afresh, even if you've heard them over and over again, um, that it just challenges and encourages us, and, and it changes us. And so when, when we left off last week, we know that the apostles um, were all kind of, whoa, it is. I'm going to go back a little bit. There we go. Um, we left off. The apostles were all kind of together. They had prayed. They were in unity. Um, Christ had ascended to heaven, and they were waiting um, for this glorious day. They were waiting for this chance. So when the story starts continuing and, and moves on, and that's where we're going to pick up um, this story today. So if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we have them available for you. They're sitting around everywhere. Um, if you don't have one, you lost it, you own it, you're on vacation, take one of ours. We will buy more and stuff. That's a gift to you. If you'd rather use your electronic devices, um, I'm working on it so I can move back to my tablet. Because so, I really like my tablet, too, because these pages get heavy. But, um, but um, you can sign into our Wi-Fi here. It says GBC Guest. Just type in Find More in all lower caps, and you, and you can join us there. Um, but as always, man, these are the words that matter. And I, 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 what I have to say, my ideas, my opinions mean absolutely nothing compared to these words. Um, these are the words that change everything. And so out of respect and acknowledgement for the authority of these words, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. As we read in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1, Dr. Luke writes this. He says, When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Will you pray for me? God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to come together. We thank you for the opportunity to gather, God, and we thank you most of all that you were here waiting for us. 
God, there, there are so many things that I think that we get confused on and we're not sure about and they seem so mysterious. But God, I, just, I believe with all my heart that you just make things plain. God, you make yourself known. You make it known to us how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to act, respond, think, all those things. God, everything we need to know, you let us know. And so this morning, I just, I pray for discernment. God, I pray for an awakening that these words would be fresh in our hearts once again. God, that it would be your words and not my words. And God, that you would use these, God, to change us. God, meet us where we're at. But God, move us from there. God, may we walk out of this building today different, with a new perspective, with a new power, with a new vigor or energy or whatever it takes. God, just have your way in us this morning. God, I long to see revival of your people. Just an outpouring of your spirit and your power, God. And I know that it's available. So God, we ask for ears to hear. We ask for hearts to respond. And we ask for the courage to do something about it. So God, have your way. Speak to us. Do what only you can do. And may you get all the glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, so as I said, um, we kind of left off with the idea that, that, you know, the disciples, they had prepped. You know, they had replaced the person. Um, Matthias was chosen to become one of the apostles. Again, the apostles is a word used for the first time in Acts, and it, it signifies those that saw Christ rise again. They were witnesses, and he gave them that command to be my witnesses, and you'll have power and, and to wait for me and, and, and to pray and be all together. And so <coughs> they're there, and then the day comes the day that they've longed for the day that they have waited for has finally shown up and we are just going to have all kinds of issues today aren't we it is and it's pentecost and, and i don't know if you know a lot about pentecost and, and everything i mean we we kind of sit like today a lot of times we think pentecostal like the pentecostal churches you know kind of the more um, gifts driven churches and all stuff but pentecost actually was a feast in Jerusalem, it was one of three feasts that you had to do a pilgrimage for. And so people came from all over the place, from all over the world, from when the, the Jews were dispersed through all the conquering and everything. They would come back to Jerusalem. They would pilgrimage to, to Jerusalem, and, and they would come. In fact, it was called the Feast of Weeks is actually what it's called. And so there's people from everywhere all over. But what's really cool to me, which I didn't really understand and catch until this week, is that this feast was associated, the idea that what they were celebrating is the renewal of the covenant. First with, first with Noah, and, and then with Moses, and stuff, and, and it even got to the point where it was the, it was the celebration where the law was given. And so it's this idea that this covenant, this new way that God would interact with his people, that's what they were celebrating. Little did they know that that's exactly what was just about to happen. I, I love that God, everything in here, everything that he does has purpose. Like, it's not just like, okay, here's a feast, there's going to be a lot of people there, hey, that'll be a good time to launch the church. But there was actually deep meaning behind that, that there's a new covenant. Not what Jesus said? Remember the Last Supper? He said, this is the bread, my body broken for you, this is my blood, the new covenant. The renewal, 
And so on Pentecost, on this day, when people came from all over the world, the covenant would be renewed. The new covenant would begin. And so, so let, let, let's, let's look at that. I, I just wanted you to catch that. And, and the first thing I want you to know is that this action that we just read, the coming of the Holy Spirit, is a fulfilled promise. God is a God that never, ever breaks his promises. God is a God that always fulfills his promises. And hundreds and hundreds of years before, and so it, it was spoken of this day. In fact, it's in Joel chapter 2. Look at this. You don't have to turn there. I'll put it on the screen. In Joel 2, verse 28 and 29, it says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And that's exactly what happened on that day. On that day, the prophecy was fulfilled. On that day, everything changed. And the way that it would work out. So let's look at that again. In Acts chapter 2. Look at just verse 2 through 4. It says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I want to break this down a little bit for you. I want you to understand. Is that all through the Old Testament... Pretty much all through Scripture, there were a couple of things that signified God's presence. One was wind, and the other one was fire. And so if you think back um, with, with, the, um, with the Israelites as they are traveling and they're moving to the promised land, what led them? It was a pillar of fire. It was God's presence. The idea of a rushing wind and this powerful wind, it's the spirit moving and everything. And so right at that moment, it says that, man, God's presence just showed up. And, and, and literally, you know, he says, um, and suddenly it came from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. So I don't know if it was an actual wind, but man, it sounded like a huge wind. If you've ever been outside when just a gust comes by and you just hear kind of that roar, I think that's what they were experiencing. Right there, that, that just all of a sudden, it was something different. It was something supernatural. It couldn't be explained. It couldn't be just say, well, okay, it got breezy and stuff. No, there was something that happened on, on that moment. And then it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, a better translation was they were filled and continued to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, before this time, you know, the Holy Spirit's nothing new. I don't know why we don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit in the church. I think it's like it scares some people because it seems a little mysterious and everything and everything. But the Holy Spirit's been through all of Scripture. And, and before this time in the Old Testament, what would happen is the Spirit would come and fill a person, but it was for a specific purpose for a specific time. You know, like David was filled with the Spirit to lead um, the people or, or, or to write Psalms. And it would be filling and then it would kind of run out. Solomon was filled with spirit for wisdom and stuff. And Moses was filled with the spirit to lead with people. And so it was specific to a specific person in a specific time. But at Pentecost, that changes completely. It's now, it's everyone. It's now, it, 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 it's all the point of it. 
Look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Um, that filled, another word probably in your King James, if you're looking at another version, it says they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. In fact, afterwards we hear this over and over again, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Those are interchangeable. Because in baptism in, in the Bible, it always talks like an immersion, a covering, a, a complete like filling or, or taking over. And so, so this idea that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, but it was at the point of conversion now. I, I don't know if we understand the significance of this. Where it used to be like we just hoped like, okay, Old Testament, like, okay, God anointed me. He touched me. That's it. But it was no one else. Now it's everyone. Everyone who comes to the knowledge of Christ, a point of conversion with Christ. Everyone that comes and sees him right then, knows him and accepts him that at that moment we are baptized. And we're going to see this a little bit later with a guy named Cornelius. It wasn't a special, like a special ceremony or something they did or a one-time thing. It was this, that the moment that we accepted our need for Christ, we are filled and sealed by his spirit within us. This is why I say that we never have to ask, please God, let your presence come near me. Because if you're a follower of Christ, wherever you go, he is always with us. His presence is always with us. When we pray, his presence is with us if we're a follower of him. He is always with us. We are filled and everything. And, and it is at the point of conversion. It's not something other happened because when we look at Cornelius in a couple of weeks, we're going to see even before, the, even before the apostle shows up to talk to him, he was filled at the point that he knew he needed Christ. See, I think we, what we do so often is we add stages to things we, we add stuff that's never never really really there and stuff like okay i get saved and then hopefully after a while i'll get the holy spirit no the bible says that immediately the power that raised christ from the dead the spirit that raised christ from the dead indwells you and me and that's that's awesome See, because it's nothing that we do. It's nothing. It's no acts that we do. It's not how good we are or how well we pray or any of that stuff. It, it is immediate there. And so for me, what kind of like frustrates me and, and, and hurts my heart is I see so many people that know Christ but are living a powerless life when everything they need is already in them. I mean, think about it. From the moment that you accept Christ, all that power Everything is in you and sealing you and protecting you and guiding you. It's all there. Let's stop making it difficult where now I got to add this and I got to do this. No, it, it's there. And by the way, just a, just a word on here. I know it says, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we're going to see in just a little bit. Listen, I believe all my heart, and, and I think Scripture proves it, that those tongues were foreign languages were known language. It wasn't something special. It wasn't something like unique and stuff like that. I think even with Paul, when he talks about tongues, he's still talking about kind of a foreign language, and especially at this moment. And, and why would they need foreign languages? Because people from all around the world were right there. And so there was a supernatural happening. There was a supernatural change that couldn't be attributed to anything other than God right there. So what happens with it? So God fulfills his promise. The Spirit is poured out on everyone. Jesus, the day that he predicted and promised would come, comes. And, and with all of that, they sit there and they can't contain what's happened to them inside. 
how I wish this was still so. You know, when someone comes up to me and says, listen, I have faith and I have everything, but it's a private faith. I'm like, then you and I aren't reading about the same faith. Because they were so overwhelmed, they were so, they were so taken in by what was happening in life, they, they couldn't even hold it in, they couldn't hide it away, they couldn't like whisper it, like it just became shouts, it became everything. Look at verse 6. Back up at verse 5, it says, Now there were dwelling Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Remember, I said everyone came from all over the place. And then verse 6, And at this sound that they heard, this rushing wind, or whatever the noise was, they all come together. And they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Man, there were people from everywhere. And when the Spirit enters and when the Spirit takes over and we make that decision and God fills us with that power, it's impossible to hold it in. Man, they're, they're starting to talk. I, I can just imagine the moment right there where they just look around and say, that's Greek, that's Egyptian, that's Aramaic, that's... What, what is going on? And they're just speaking and they're praising God and people are hearing this and they don't understand what is going on. When's the last time someone showed up to church and says, I don't know what's going on, but there's something supernatural happening there? What's changed? These people that are from all over the place and stuff and all different backgrounds and all things, they walk in, they hear these apostles speaking, they know like there's something special, there's something powerful going on. And my heart tells me that nothing has changed from today to that day. That it still should be that. That people come and say, I don't fully understand, but I know there's something. Someone is speaking. Someone is saying something. Someone is doing something, and it's affecting me. But with most people, when we don't understand, we try to explain it away, don't we? Isn't that the rule today? There has to be a logical, scientific explanation for everything. That's exactly what happened with these men. Look at verse 12. All these people standing around and, 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 and doing this. and um, you know, It goes through the whole list, by the way. And it says, how is it that we each hear, verse 9, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Figura, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians were hearing them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. In verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Your Bible would say they're drunk. You know? It, isn't that so? Isn't that so that we just, we try to box God in so much that we can explain God? Isn't, isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we, we look at and says, well, this happened because of this. And the miracles, they were like, I remember one guy talking to me for hours just saying, well, all the miracles, well, they're actually natural occurrences and everything. I says, well, then it's not a miracle. 
All that Jesus said, all that Jesus did, all these things that are happening, and these things that we're going to read as we go on, they were acts of God. They were things that happened that only God could get credit. And the fact is, is when we are against God or we don't know God, we don't want to admit there is a God. And so it's so much easier to say, it's just drunk. So much easier to say to sit into a church and feel the Holy Spirit prodding and poking and saying, man, I just ate something bad last night. <laughs> you know, you ever heard of the white knuckle syndrome? This is old. Back in the day when we had pews everywhere and all that stuff. And I, I experienced the white knuckle symbols where God was speaking. I knew God was speaking and I wasn't moving. So I held on to that pew until my knuckles were white. <laughs> How many of us do that? Know that God is telling us something. God is showing us something. We're like, no, it's, I ate something wrong. It's something else. I'm not going. But when the Spirit's moving, when the Spirit's speaking, listen, I want to I, I live a faith that I can't explain. That's my prayer for this church. I've, I've been praying that since the beginning, since we started this church almost three years ago. Say, so God, I want things to happen in such a way that you're the only one that can get credit. I want to see people and lives change. I want to see things happen in this community that the only way that anybody can even start to describe it is that that must be God. Because he deserves all the glory. He deserves all the praise. I don't do anything except sit and study and pray, God, let these be your words, not mine. I want to see God move because that's a faith. That's a God that's bigger than my experiences. And if your God is only as big as your experiences and your understanding, I'm going to tell you, it's not worth your life. It's not worth your time. I don't want to be able to explain. I just want to sit there and say, that must be God. That must be God. And I've seen it in my life. I've seen it over. I have a conversation last week with a girl at Universal just talking about, like, how do you know there's a God? I said, there's three things. I think Scripture proves it. I think that things come in order, and I've seen things in my life that I can't explain any other way. Do you know that? Your best testimony, your best witnessing tool is what God has done in your life because there is no one that can explain that away for you. All you have to do is tell, this is what God's done. And whether you grew up in the church or it happened later on in life, it doesn't matter. They're all exciting because they all deal with Jesus. And if we just share that, if we're telling what God is doing, nobody can explain it away. Nobody ever is going to change my mind about who Jesus is because I know what he's done for me. And I don't want to explain it away. So we see what happens now. The Holy Spirit has come. He's, he's filled the people. He's filled the apostles. They are speaking in languages they don't know. And I love that just last week we talked about Jesus made a promise. Back in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And immediately, that's exactly what happens. Look at verse 14. It says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed him, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. We're not drunk. We're not anything. But look who's talking. <laughs> Peter. Peter.
you're the one that said, Jesus, I will die for you. And then denied him. Peter, that even after he knew Jesus was risen from the dead, even after he had seen him done, still, if you look in John, you find him fishing. He went back to his old life. Peter thought, like, I'm done. There's nothing I can offer. I blew it and all this stuff. I'm broken. I'm shattered. Peter, the one that Jesus restored, was now the one that led. This uneducated, this fisherman, in the eyes of all those people in Jerusalem right now, the, the rich and all the people that had come and stuff, this guy that was really a nobody stood up with boldness and spoke. And look at some of the things that he says. This is starting in verse 16. He says, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be God to shall be God, declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And he goes on and quotes the entire prophecy from Joel. He says, this is the day that this prophecy has been filled, the day we've been waiting for, the day that we have longed for, the day where the spirit is for everyone has happened today. Peter, the denier, was standing up boldly. He says, listen, this is what's happening. It's not being drunk. It's not, it's not some crazy whim. We didn't eat some bad fish. This is what's happening. By the way, I, I love, just a little rabbit trail, I love that in 17 he says, in the last days it shall be. We always wonder, when are the last days? When are the last days? Can I tell you something? The moment Jesus ascended, it became the last days. Because from the moment he ascended, we're waiting for him to come back. It is the last days. It's been the last days for, for 2,000 years. And we've got to be busy about it, and we, we've, got, we've got to be working about it. But he stands up, and then all of a sudden in verse 22, he changes the focus. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. Listen, if you're going to talk about Jesus, if you're going to be a witness for Jesus, then talk about Jesus. That's the point. I mean, we, we can come with all the time, and I, I'm, I'm a big, strong proponent of, like, apologetics and be able to defend your faith, and, 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 like, I believe in creation over evolution, and I think there's evidence that shows that, and we, we can understand that and do all that stuff. But when it comes down to it, we're not going to debate anybody's mind. We're not going to debate anybody's heart. What we're going to do is we're going to tell them about Jesus, and it needs to be about Jesus because that's the only thing that changes people. I love that Peter made the focus Jesus. The point is Jesus. And if at any time in this church or any church you visit, it, the point is not Jesus, please go find a new church. Because it's about Jesus. This is why I look at you and say, hey, just go tell your story and trust God. Just tell them what God's doing in your life. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. And then leave the rest of them because it's not on you. No one in this room is going to save anybody. 
It is all Jesus. It is all him. So let's make the focus and the point him. In too many of our churches and in too many places, we've made the point stuff like social justice, or we've made the point or like let's be political or let's, let's do this or let's do that. And all that stuff is important, but if it's not about Jesus, it's useless. The point is and will always be about Jesus. Look at verse 24. Peter makes it very, very clear. Why is it about Jesus? Because God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it's not possible for him to be held by it. That this Jesus, this person that we're talking about, yes, he was crucified. You killed him. We killed him. It was our sins that put him on the cross, and he died, but he didn't stay dead. It's the difference from every other belief system. It is about this Jesus that rose again, and it changes the direction of where we're going. It changes the direction of how we approach God. For this time, these guys are here for this feast, and they know there are sacrifices, and there, is, there are things that we have to do and rituals that we have to accomplish to stay right with God. And that's the entire history of the Jews. We've got Passover, and we've, we've got this, and we've got the Day of Atonement, and we've got all these sacrifices and these things that we have to do and these rituals. And, and if we do all that, then yes, God will change all that. And Peter says, no more. Because it's Jesus that came and died for our sins and paid the price for our sins. He rose again, and now we approach God in a totally different way. Isn't that good news? Before, if you weren't a Jew, you had to like, convert to Judaism and then go through the process. And now Jesus, God is saying, no, it's, it's everybody. It's another promise kept. Remember Abraham? I'll make you a blessing to all nations. It's a promise to the Israelites when God created this community, this nation. He says, I'm going to make you a nation of priests. Why? So that the whole world will know me. See, what I love about Pentecost is when we don't do our job, God still does his. See, because this time the Jews were just like Jews and Jews only. And God's like, that wasn't the plan. When you and I don't do what God has called us to do, God is going to do it anyway you know it's like i don't know anybody that grew up on a farm and everything or anything but if you you're plowing a field and you're clearing a field and stuff and there's a stump in the way every so often you're going to just go around the stump you're going to leave it but eventually you're going to get rid of the stump and i believe with all my heart that churches aren't making it about jesus and doing that there's stumps in the way and eventually god's going to say i'm going to remove that stump so that we can keep moving forward because god's will will never be thwarted he will always accomplish what he's, a promise, what he's promised to accomplish. I love that verse. Listen to the verse again. I mean, this is the hope of everything that we live in and why we meet. Look at it. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Do you understand the thing that none of us can get by is death? I think I said this last week. The strongest statistic is death is for everyone, there's one. One out of one will die. And yet Jesus' love, God's love for us was so strong and that penalty was so paid for, sin was so completely destroyed and paid for that death couldn't hold it. That's the hope. 
Don't you think there are people out there that need to hear that? People that are never going to enter into a church or walk into walls, but they need to hear that. I love that Peter says that. I love that Paul pushes that over and over again. If it's not for the resurrection, we preach in vain. It's all about because we have a living, breathing, active faith. Because we follow a living, breathing, active God. It's not dead. He continues on. Go down to verse 32. Peter, I I just want to encourage you this week to go and read Acts chapter 2. Read the sermon. It's one of the best sermons in the Bible outside of Jesus. (laughs) Outside of the Sermon on the Mount. It's it's one of the greatest sermons. There's a couple in Paul in, in, in Athens. The, the Sermon on the Mount and, and this sermon. But just, just go and read it this week and listen how Peter just breaks it all down. He goes back to the Old Testament and says, this is what happened and here's the prophecy and here's this and here's that for this Jewish audience that's listening and just saying, oh my goodness, what's happening here? But look, look at verse 32. He says, this Jesus God's raised up and of that we are all our witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. That's the key. What did Jesus say? You will have power and you will be my witnesses. That hasn't stopped for the church. That hasn't stopped for us. We are still witnesses. Peter's saying, this is what we have seen with our own eyes. This is what we felt with our own hearts and our hands and we have touched and and we have experienced and and we have all this. We are witnesses of this. And this morning, if you are a follower of Christ, if you know him, you are a witness. I said, it doesn't matter if you were raised in the church. I used to listen to people all the time. I think I've told this before. There was a testimony night. At a church, and this guy gets up, and he starts testifying. He's like, I just want to thank God because he, he saved me. He saved me from drug addiction, and I was stealing and mugging old women, and I was doing heroin and cocaine, and, and God came and saved me. And the whole church got their hankies out, and they're waving, and they're like, Woo, this is great. And another guy comes up and says, I want, to test, I want to give a testimony. I want to save God because I was violent, man. I cut people with knives. I was in gangs, and, and, and I murdered people, and I, I did all kinds of stuff. And I didn't care. And God changed my heart, and the church hankies waving, woo And then all of a sudden, this 80-year-old woman comes up in a walker. <laughs> she gets up to the mic, and they're like, what's up? You want to testify? She's like, yeah, I do. I want to thank God because he saved me from 30 years of arson and burning things. <laughs> and everyone's sitting there going, Grandma. He's <laughs> like, no, I'm not done. I want to thank God that he saved me from, from 40 years of beating my husband with a baseball bat. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, my goodness. I, I want to thank God because I was a, from drinking and alcoholism and drinking everything from gasoline and all that stuff. And people are like, oh, my gosh. He's like, I want to thank God because none of that happened because I got saved when I was five years old. Let me tell you something, if you grew up in the church, count it a blessing and then testify. We are witnesses to what Christ has done for us. And because it's about Jesus, it is always exciting. It is always amazing because we have come from death to life. 
power and witness. I love that Jesus ties those together. Because so often we're like, we want the power. We want the blessing. We want, we want the stuff, man. That's awesome. But I don't think you get the power, experience the power, unless you're also witnessing the power of what Christ has done. And that's all Peter is saying. It's like we are saying what we've seen. And none of you are going to change my mind. That's all you have to do when you go out there. That's all, that's all you have to say and, and show, just witness. And by the way, the gospel works. We don't have to add to it. We don't have to dress it up. We don't, we don't have to do anything because the gospel changes everything. Look at verse 37. Peter says this sermon, and he goes through it, and he goes through the prophecies, and he says, this is what we witness. And, and look, all that happens, and all of a sudden, in verse 37, 37, it says, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? And Peter said to him, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen, when we are sharing the gospel, when we are just telling what Jesus does, and we just leave it up to him, and we are just being faithful and obedient, I promise you, someone's going to come to you and say, What do I have to do? It penetrates the heart. It pierces all stuff. The gospel does that. God draws people as we share. And they're going to come and it will change everything. And so Peter says it very simply and very clearly. It's not about sacrificing and doing this ritual and that ritual. It's not about going to church and praying this much or praying at this time or doing that. He says, first of all, you have to repent. And all repent means is to go a different direction. See, when we don't know Christ, when we are living on our own, we are going as far away from God as we possibly can, and we are going the opposite direction. And at the moment we realize that we stop, and we turn around, and we head back towards God. That's all repent means. It's a 180-degree turn. I'm going back the direction that I'm supposed to go. That's all it is. And then he says, be baptized. And I want to say a word about this. Baptism does not save you. There's a reason Peter, I think, says repent and be baptized. What baptism means, especially in the Jewish culture, is that I am going to join a community of faith. I am going to connect myself and publicly admit that I am now following Christ. I I know that there are some out there and there's some that says, well, no, it says you have to be saved, you have to repent and baptize, and then you're saved. No, it's the work of Jesus, because if that's the truth, that thief on the cross would have never have known Christ. If that's true, later on when we meet Cornelius, he would have never have known Christ. Because the Holy Spirit came before he even started any of that stuff and everything. I just want you to know that it is a public acknowledgement. It is me saying, I am joining my self-community, and especially for the Jewish community. Outside the temple, in the courtyard, there were baptismals everywhere. And anyone that had been broken in community, had been cut off from community, had done something that removed themselves from community and relationship with that community or relationship with God, when they came back and they repented of it, as a sign of that, they came and they were baptized to say they have rejoined the community. 
This is what we do in church. When we baptize, what we are saying is you are telling everyone, I identify myself with Christ and I'm not ashamed. I want everyone to know and I want you to hold me accountable to it. Baptism isn't a new thing. They've been doing it for thousands of years. But it means something when we say, I want to connect with this community. I want to connect in relationship with God and I want everyone to know it. See, because a lot of those Jews, they could have said, all right, yeah, okay, we trust Jesus and stuff, and we're good, and then go be secret about it. Peter's saying, no, I want you to make a statement. In this city that crucified him, in the city that is against everything that's happening right now, I want you to identify and have the courage and the boldness to identify that Jesus is Messiah. You know, in Iran, they do a census every year. And on the census, they ask, are you a Christian? Or are you Muslim or are you whatever? And you have to mark down what it is. But under Christian, it says, are you a Christian? Have you been baptized? And their thought process is, is if they have just like said, I follow Jesus, but they're not brave enough to tell everybody and make it public, then they're not really a follower of Jesus and we don't have to worry about them. In China, when they're baptized, when they baptize in the church in China, they ask them, says, have you accepted Christ with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul? Yes, I've accepted Christ. Do you promise to live for him the best you can? Yes. And if chosen, will you choose not to deny him when you're arrested? See, baptism doesn't save you, but it is me saying publicly, I belong to Jesus. And I think we've missed that. You know, I, I remember talking to my father and, and asking him about his faith and, and, and everything. And he said, it's always a private faith. And I remember talking to him and says, Dad, it can't be a private faith. It can't be just about you because Jesus said to love God, love people, and tell the story. It's not something that we can keep in. And yet the gospel forces us out of our comfort zone. When we truly engage in the gospel, when we truly live out the gospel, we get forced out of our comfort zone where we have to sit there and go, yes, I'm a Christian. I was talking to a manager this week at, um, at Universal and talking about different ways. My 90 days is up. I'm still, unless they call me Monday and say, thanks for the 89 days, <laughs> you're done. Um, but my probationary period is over. But and it means I can train in other things. I'm like, okay, I want to train because I can make a little bit more money. I may be able to get some benefits. I'd like to do some other stuff. But I will not work on Sundays. I cannot work on Sundays. I'm a pastor of a church, and they kind of like it when I show up on Sundays. I can take a few off, but if I'm, I'm going to, you can work me till 3 o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning, and I will show up dead tired and still preach, but I'm not working Sundays. He's like, oh, you're a pastor? That's, oh, that's awesome. I'm a follower of Christ, and that guy is too. I mean, we can't really talk about it that much. I'm like, are you kidding me? They all know I'm a pastor. They ask me every single day about spiritual things and stuff, and I'm going to share that too because you can't keep it in. Listen, if you're more concerned about your status, your job, your friendships than you are about Jesus and the gospel, you and I don't know the same Jesus. In so many of our churches, so many of our places, that's what's happened to us. So what's this all tied to? And I know I'm going long. I'm sorry. There's so much in this chapter. <laughs> These guys became conduits of that power. Think about it. 
These disciples, these apostles, the ones who fled, they denied, they hid, now stood in the place where they judged and sentenced Christ to death. They stood and they were conduits of power. Why? Not because they were strong men, not because they were smart men, because they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. That power was available to them and they could flow it out of them and it could move out of them. Look at this in verse, Acts 2, verse 40 and 41. Look at what happens when we let the Holy Spirit lead us and we go with that power. It says, and with many other words, <coughs> he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And I know some people look there and says, well, that was Acts. It's the same Holy Spirit. It's the same God. It's the same power. And so if we would fill ourselves and allow God to move with us and be obedient to what he's calling to do, I'm telling you the same thing happens today. We are called. We are led by the Holy Spirit. I love the CT stud says this. How little chance the Holy Ghost has nowadays. The churches and missionary societies have so bound him in red tape that they practically ask him to sit in the corner while they do the work themselves. I believe that's the issue with a lot of churches today. We have forgotten that the power that rose Christ from the dead dwells in us. And that because of that, there is nothing impossible. That's why Paul can say, I can do all things through who? Christ. His spirit, his power indwelling me. I can do all things. Which means to me that, you know what? Four corners, every person in four corners can hear the gospel. Every person can hear the gospel. Every person in Florida, every person on the planet, every person. And it's going to happen. We're invited to join God to do that. But we can be part of that. But only if we just acknowledge and admit finally that it's the Holy Spirit. It's not my strength. It's not by power. It's not by might. But it's by God's Spirit that I step out and go and live the life that God has called me to do. I'm tired of people saying, I want to be an Acts 2 church. I want to go back to Acts 2. Nothing has changed. It's the same spirit. It's the same power. It's us. So let's let the spirit lead us. And let's have the courage to step out. And let's see what God does. For his glory, not ours. For his kingdom, not this one. That can still happen today. If we let it. Listen, this morning, I, I don't know where you're at. And like I said, we didn't finish this chapter next week. We're going to go into what the fellowship and what this gathering looked like and this community looked like. And, man, there's so much in, like, five verses that we will be stuck in there. This morning, I just want you to know that the power that rose Christ from the the power that gave Peter the ability to speak and see thousands of people come to know him, that power is still available and it still lies within us. And it doesn't matter if we're a church of 3,000 or 30. That power lies in us. And we can make a difference if we will just surrender and say, God, I'm going to do it your way. And whatever opportunity you give me, I'm going to open my mouth. I'm going to step through and I'm going to do it. It's still available today. This stuff still happens today when we trust God. And he gets the glory. So this morning, maybe your faith has just been lacking and you're like, man, I'd like to see that power. Maybe you just need to start asking God, what is it 
in my life that's keeping me from experiencing that full power? Reveal that to me and let's deal with that today. Let, let's get on with it. Maybe, maybe, man, you, you've been asking God, God, start showing me people I can witness to, that I can tell the story that you gave me. God, show me somebody this week. I promise you, that's a prayer I think that God loves to answer. He's like, ready? Okay, here you go. You just have to pay attention. <laughs> God, help me pay attention. Help me have the courage to do that. What, whatever it is, man, this power is available to us right now, right here. Not that we're going to do magic tricks or we're going to do all this stuff, but it's the power that raised Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. Any time that a gift or the power of the Spirit shows, if it's not pointing to Jesus, it's not, it's not from Jesus. I want to make that very, very clear. That all the gifts we receive, and we'll talk about those a little bit later, and all that power and everything that I'm talking about this morning, if it doesn't, is if, it, it's, if it's not about Jesus, it's not of Jesus. Because he's the only one that gets credit. He's the only one that gets glory because he's the only one that paid the price. Let's tell that story and see what God does. Let's pray.